Welcome to the 3G Podcast. Boy, oh boy, has it been a crazy year. Now we're going to be going into uh, the second year of this madness. Uh, Yeah, I want to thank everybody. Ahead of time, I am not an expert in much of anything, to be honest with you, and uh, hopefully the vast majority of you haven't stopped listening already. Uh, I'm just trying to be honest. This podcast is based 120% on pure transparency here. We want to be transparent. We want to be honest. And uh, we want to talk about what you want to talk about. Unfortunately... This first episode is mainly just an introduction. Uh, I hope that you guys will listen uh, throughout, and this way you get a good idea of who I am and why I'm doing this podcast. Um, First of all, let me introduce myself. Uh, My name, for all intents and purposes, is Mike Pels. I'm no longer on Facebook, but that was my name on Facebook, and I, at one point I had almost 4,000 uh, followers on Facebook, and uh, the, the Facebook realm got so toxic that I got the fuck out of there. Um, oh, by the way, let me uh, start over here. So... Here at the uh, 3G Podcast, you can expect to hear some curse words every now and again. This is somewhat of a kid-friendly show. I can pretty much guarantee that if you have a kid who's 13 and older and uh, they're listening, they're not going to hear anything that they haven't already heard in school. Let's be honest. Okay, you can't be parents all the time, and uh, you can't shield your kids from the uh, trials and tribulations and vocabulary of the other rugrats around them. So you might hear a curse word here and there. Can't help that. I'm a Yankee. I'm from the Northeast, and uh, curse words are jargon for us. I guess you could say that would be the technical term. Uh, so anyway, I was uh, I was on Facebook as Mike Pels for a number of years, probably since the beginning, because I was a MySpace dude as well. And um, on Facebook, my name was Mike Pels. Um, I had about four thousand, or I was close to four thousand followers on Facebook when I decided, you know what, this this is a very toxic atmosphere. And uh, I got out of there. So you might recognize the name. You might not. Who knows? Uh, For, oh, 25 plus years, I was known as uh, B-Boy Frantic or the Frantic Chef. I uh, was uh, heavily involved in the breakdance and hip-hop community in the Northeast and then in the South when I moved to South Carolina. And, um, yeah, so... You might recognize this voice from some of those jams. Um, 
it's a very interesting upbringing that I've had. So I think that it also brings some pretty interesting perspective. I come from a divorced family. Uh, my dad's French Canadian. Uh, you could pretty much call him a redneck. They don't call them that up there, but that's what my dad was. He was a redneck. He was a carpenter his entire life and um, quit school in the seventh grade and just went to work. My mother, on the other hand, is about as Puerto Rican as you can get. Uh, she was raised in the Bronx in the 70s. And uh, yeah, so when you have a French-Canadian father and a Puerto Rican mother, one is from the woods, one is from the city, you get a very interesting upbringing that is complex and simple at the same time. And what I mean by that is the ideals of city life and the ideals of country life can be similar. You go to the real like brass roots of uh, I said brass roots, grass roots. You go to the the very grass roots of like survival in a sense, right? So if you are, uh, you know, if you're country and you you live, you know, a very simple life, which is you know, feed and clothe and house. And you don't really get involved in like the intricacies of the world around you. You, you know, especially like it's example would be if you're on a farm, you know, that is very much your world, right? Uh, it takes up a lot of your time and you're, you're working very hard for those, those very basic functions in life. And when you're in the city, it's, it kind of can be the same thing. Um, when you're living in the city, jobs are scarce because there's so many people, right? So the main focus is just getting money because you can't farm in the city necessarily. I mean, you can now. There's a lot of technology, but that's that's neither here nor there. I'm talking about in that uh, 70s era, 80s era of... Um, living in the in the city and uh you know especially in New York in the Bronx it was a very volatile time frame from the uh late 60s to the early 80s was like whoo it was crazy right and so you're just trying to get money to what feed clothe shelter you're not really getting involved in the intricacies of the world that's not inside your own personal universe because you're having to focus on, you know, keeping your head above water in such trying times. The zeitgeist of that day was very much like struggle and you might be you know, super broke and homeless and needing to eat. Gangs were rampant. Um, and so if you break down to the very core of the general necessities, you can find common ground between people who grew up in the country and people who grew up in the city. The main focus 
was to keep clothes on your back, food in your belly, and a roof over your head. And you worked hard in different ways to achieve those same goals. So anyway, my father's first language was French-Canadian. And so my mom and dad communicated in our household with mainly English. So even though I have a Canadian father and a Puerto Rican mother, I don't know a lick of any of those languages. And I regret not being more uh, mature in my childish years to say to my folks, hey, what's this word mean or what's that word mean? So anyway, uh, English was the language that we communicated with and that's pretty much what I know. But um, when you talk about living in a house like that, where, you know, your father's gone 10, 12 hours a day, your mother is pretty much home. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. You're, you're working in a, in a situation where uh, you're starving for that that fatherly attention, and then you're only getting that fatherly attention in a recreational type of way, so you and your dad are learning a lot about what it means to have fun and little about what life is like for a man, especially when your father's number one purpose is to feed and to clothe and to house. So anyway, long story short, very complex upbringing with a lot of different views, some conservative, some not conservative, but the belief that you live in America and you can think and talk and do as you wish as long as you're not hurting anybody and... Those fundamental teachings are kind of what got me through. So um, I know right from wrong. I've done some things that I regret. I've worked really hard to repair those things. But at the end of the day, uh, that's probably the most important thing that you can instill in a person is right from wrong and generosity and love. And I got all those things growing up. Even though, you know, it was two very different viewpoints that I was being raised with. I have siblings, but I am the youngest of technically five. My father had two kids from his first marriage. My mom had two from hers. And I am the only baby. And, uh, yeah, so dealing with three older sisters and an older brother also added to my worldview. Um, when I was 14, I my parents divorced and I moved away from the both of them to a sleepy little town called Cowpens, South Carolina. And uh, I think I was like 14. Maybe I was 13. I don't remember exactly. I know it's somewhere in there, but I moved in with uh, some family friends who pretty much saved my life. And I, what I mean by that is where I was growing up was a very troublesome place. The friends that I was hanging out with were wonderful people, but we were young kids and just doing dumb shit. And it was 
kind of snowballing in the wrong direction when I when I did move south. So when I moved, I got a different perspective on life, and um, it's where I I mainly learned the concepts of like responsibility and person, you know, personal, uh, just being accountable for your actions and stuff like that. And I also got to see how like quote unquote normal people lived, because I'm pretty sure if you ask anybody that knows my household growing up was not normal. Uh, and so I say normal, but the interesting thing is that, um, the, the people that I lived with in South Carolina were wonderful people, but not what you would call from a societal standpoint as normal, wonderful, but not normal. And what I mean by that is like, so there was three main people that were involved. Um, my guardian, his sister, and her husband. And these three people were influential in helping me learn how to take what I the bad things that I had learned up until that point helped me to understand why those things were bad and that it wasn't my fault that they became a normal part of my life and also helped me to understand that I could turn that around and and start all over again but these people didn't have children of their own um my guardian actually we would learn later is not heterosexual uh, his sister and her husband did not have children of their own still don't but that's okay because we've been taught from a very young age, some of us, that the family has to be a certain way. And I learned in that experience that family can just be a group of people that care for each other immensely and genuinely want nothing but the best for one another. And they don't have to be blood relatives. And you find that a lot in friendships. And that's where a lot of the complexities of my worldview really started was at that time. Because like everyone else, I was raised up until that point that family is mother, father, siblings. Parents got divorced. That all got shot to shit, right? Then I'm, I'm really doing bad for myself as a child with 
one side being very, you know, free nilly willy, that being my father, pretty much letting me get away with whatever the hell I want, and then being with my mother and her trying her best to be very strict, but at the same time, uh, there was a lot of anger there. And so it was hard to take her seriously, to be honest, because at 14, you're just like, whatever, you know? Um, and so I move, I'm, I think that's it. That's the end of it. Right. But then I move and I'm being taken care of by these people with no blood relation whatsoever. Their only relation to our family is that they had been friends with our family for a number of years. In fact, before I was born, these people used to babysit me when I was when I was a baby uh, in Norwalk, Connecticut. And they took me in and cared for me just like any other mother or father unit, family unit, would. And that was when I learned that the concept of blood is thicker than water is complete horseshit. At the end of the day, it all depends on that particular person's heart and what they what they feel inside and their moral fabric. And you can find examples of that all over history with uncles diddling their nephews and nieces and shit like that. And then you've got the Catholic Church and, you know, what not all of them have been involved in, but a lot of them have been involved in. These are people that are supposed to care about you and love you. And instead, they betray you. And so I learned that at a very, you know, young age that the care that you exhibit for other people is what really matters. And anybody can be family. So, you know, my concepts of life and allegiance started from a very volatile place and ended up balancing and the source of that balance came from the most unlikely place and that will tell you very quickly and prove to you very quickly that anything is possible as well so anyway that's a a little bit of my past from a child standpoint I graduated high school Nobody else from my immediate family had done that. My father didn't do it. My brother didn't do it. Um, my sisters did, but I'm speaking from like a man point of view. Like I was the first dude in my family to, to graduate high school. And then I went on to college, did some drafting, learned some architecture, uh, and then after college, I moved back to New England and 
the craziest thing happened. I moved away from the Northeast and I was gone for about five years. So I did 10th, 11th, 12th, couple years of college, moved back up and wouldn't you know it, I started right back where I left off. Just being a freaking knucklehead and just doing the most, just doing the dumbest shit. Only now I'm an adult. And that just goes to show you, man, that like, it really, your surroundings, product of your environment and that whole thing, that that shit is legitimate. I, you know, that's another thing that I've learned throughout my life from personal experience. Your surroundings, the people that you associate with and you spend the most, you know, most of your time with, that shit counts, man. That shit matters. And the people that you love and that are close to you, you need to keep them close because they will straighten your shit out. I had a lot of good friends that I alienated because I just wanted to fuck off and party. And I didn't give those people an opportunity to try and set me straight. And the product of that was a lot of bad choices. A lot of bad choices. And so I learned through that the importance of keeping your circle close and tight and sometimes the grass is greener on the other side of the fence but it could be because there's a septic tank on the other side of the goddamn fence you know what I'm saying so you gotta be really careful you can't just jump over and I jumped over time and time again and it was not it was not a good look for me so um anyway I ended up managing a nightclub in Sanford, Maine. And the owners of that nightclub had a falling out. And I ended up, uh, they came to me and they said, we're shutting it down. At the time, I was living in the apartment upstairs. So them shutting down the business meant me being homeless and not having a job all at the same time. And so they offered me some cash, some equipment, and a plane ticket anywhere I wanted to go. And um, that was the universe saying, here it is. We're giving you a third opportunity to get your shit straight. And so I, um, I said, make that plane ticket to South Carolina, please. And make that check payable out to me. And I'm out of here. And I moved back to the South where I had done the best for myself with the help of the people that loved me. And I felt as though at that time, 
that is exactly where I needed to be. And for the second time in my life, these people took me under their wing, this time as an adult, and quite literally saved my life twice. And uh, they know who they are, and I can't thank them enough. Once I was back down south, uh, things started to work out. It took a long time for me to shake off those old mustard stains from the rave scene and the drugs and the drinking. But eventually I got sober completely and started to focus on a, a career path and started to focus on the genuinely positive aspects to the art form that I was a part of, which is the breakdancing, or b-boying, if you will. I'll probably catch a lot of shit for calling it breakdancing, but that's what 90% of the world calls it. Um, but breaking was something that I had been doing since I was a child, and I utilized that skill set and that art form to take advantage of people when I was in the rave scene and used it as a popularity contest winning skill and did not appreciate it for the art form that it was. And so where a lot of my friends went the traditional hip-hop breaking path, I went the rave scene, nightclub, free drug path and it caused a rift between myself and the art because I was taking advantage of the art rather than appreciating it. And when I got back to South Carolina and I got sober and started that process, I started to appreciate it more. So then I got involved with giving back to the community through um, throwing events and trying to be a responsible and positive uh, beacon within the community and met a lot of wonderful, wonderful people throughout that process whom I did not take advantage of because it wasn't about what they could do for me. It was more about the camaraderie and sharing in the culture and the social aspects and that closeness and really developing a lot of friendships that were super close to what you would call family. And I still love every one of them, even though now I'm retired and I'm, I'm out of the game. Uh, those memories and those friendships, you can make a phone call and pick right back up again where you left off. And that's an incredible thing that comes along with sharing genuine love and care and affection and emotion with people of like-minded uh, like-minded standpoints and lifestyles. Um, now, that brings us to today. I retired from the, the breaking community and my role as a mentor and a leader um, a couple years ago, actually four, four years ago to be exact. My 40th birthday that following year throughout the entire year I had my flying at 40 
movement that I did. Entered a bunch of competitions, taught a bunch of workshops, judged a bunch of events, hosted a bunch of events. And then it wasn't soon after that that I was promoting exclusively until the 10-year anniversary of my event, Southeast B-Boy Champs. And then after that, um, I was done. I gave up my class to a very talented dancer to teach, and I started focusing on other things because for 30 years, the only thing that I focused my attention on were either negative things like drugs, alcohol, and partying, and clubs, or positive things, but all of it was based around that based around that dance and around around the cultures that attach themselves to that to that art form. And so there were things that I enjoyed doing prior to dedicating my life to hip hop culture and the breaking community that I started to pick back up. Thus the name of this podcast. Uh, guns Golf governments. Uh, there's more meaning behind that than you would think. Uh, I love golf. My father took me to my first driving range when I was younger, and then I had a wonderful friend help me pick it back up in adulthood. And um, I absolutely am addicted to it now, and, and I love the game. It's a wonderful game teaches you so many different lessons that one wouldn't even comprehend. And it's a lot like breaking in the fact that when you're b-boying, when you're breaking, it's all about you. There's no other controlling factor that creates your love and appreciation and skill level. You are the only one. You're responsible. When you, unless you're like doing a routine or something like that with um, other people. When you're breaking, you're. It's just you. You're. You're out there, and you're alone. And you. Um, there's no really outside factors, but there are prerequisites, and golf is very much the same. There are prerequisites. There's things that you have to do and when you do those things your success level goes up and your game improves and your skill set improves. But it's very much an individual type of a it's very much an individual activity. It's very much a point where you it's just you out there. And breaking and golf is exactly the same in that respect. You you have th- mechanical things that you need to do. Like in breaking, there's power moves um, that are very mechanical, uh, dealing with centrifugal force and, and speed. And then there in golf, there's what people call touch or feel. When, you know, you're in between shots or you have to be creative with your shots and there's a certain personal um, 
touch that goes into that shot and in breaking that's what you what some would consider being your style head or your, or your style or found you know your flow how you manipulate those movements it's very much the same in golf where how you manipulate that shot or that golf club um that's a big part of that and so there's tons of similarities um but i think very much just the aspect of it just being you out there and you're responsible for yourself there's no team that that i i'm drawn to that for some reason in any of the sports that i enjoy i don't like watching sports i enjoy playing so i don't pay attention to statistics you'll never catch me bet on a game uh I'll never go to a friend's house just to watch a game. That's not my style. That's not how I roll. Um, the other thing, too, is that my father was uh, very much a, a woodsman, very much a mountain man. And so I grew up shooting and hunting. And um, shooting and guns and the mechanical aspects of firearms and the right to be able to protect yourself and the right to be able to provide your family and your friends and yourself with food should you ever need to. It's very important and it's very, it's a deep and emotional connection to nature. When you have the ability to take life, you respect life even more. Um, and like I said, uh, going to school for engineering and CAD, uh, I was introduced to um, mechanical engineering and, and just the way firearms operate. Um, I started picking that aspect of my life back up again once I retired from breaking. And that's kind of where the guns part comes from, is just that... Um, that part of my life that I had kind of pushed to the side I'm I'm picking it back up and there's a lot of similarities there too when it's just you and that firearm and the target there's not many outside sources of complication. You are either on target or you're not on target. You either can shoot or you can't. So once again, an activity that is very much based in individual individual productivity and individual skill levels and skill sets. And then the government's part is just, I'm grown up now and, you know, I've got kids and, um, I'm not distracted by drugs and alcohol anymore and I'm not engulfing myself in, uh, social aspects and part of being a member of the hip hop community is that you're always a student. You should never ever stop 
trying to accumulate knowledge. And so now that I'm not taking workshops or teaching workshops or, you know, associating in those circles of conversation, I still have a, I'm still starved for information. And so the government's thing, it's based around governments because of how important government is to everyone's day-to-day life, but it's really mainly based on information about history. Uh, That's really where I started to um, involve myself in trying to decipher what's out there. And that led me down the rabbit hole of governments in general and that's why I pluralize it. It's not, it's not, you know, 3G, the, the third G is not government. It's governments because it's based around a worldview of how people operate and things, you know, all the mechanisms of what dictates what we can and can't do and where we can and can't go and how, how that all developed over time. And what is truly ours and what is given to us by God or the universe and where that stops and starts and how these human beings of flesh and bone and blood achieved such levels of power that they can actually tell us what we can and can't do and what we have to do and if we don't do these things, where they'll take us and put us. All of that is super complex. And like I said, uh, always a student, forever a student. I'm, I'm constantly learning. My views are constantly changing. Everything is circumstantial. Nothing is black and white. There's a lot going on out there. And I feel like now that you know a little bit of my history, you can understand why my views on so much of this is complex. Because it's been a very roller coaster ride of life and emotion for me, getting to this point where I can articulate where I'm coming from, why I'm in that stance, and how I'm moving forward. Uh, When I retired and started to educate myself and kind of become what I would like to call a social scholar, which is somebody who studies society as a whole, past, present, and future, um, there was a lot of assumptions made about me early on just because I didn't talk about that kind of stuff openly. I was really busy talking about dance and music and art and, you know, not really talking about the things that guide society. And so I think that the assumption was there that I was a very liberal person. And I was in the 
traditional sense of the word liberal. I believe in liberty. But I think that that has all gotten twisted in such a way that it's not so cut and dry anymore. Like you can't say that you're liberal and be for liberty. And if you say you're a libertarian, then you're going too far. And if you're a Republican now, you know, you're, you're trying to conserve all of the negative things that are attached to this country and life in general. And it's, you know, people assumed that about me and all of a sudden they were in shock because I quote unquote had changed where I didn't really change. I just never shared with people those views before. Social media made it a lot easier to do that. When I retired, I had a lot more time, so I was doing that more often. But I'm still the same person. I still believe in pro-choice, but also believe in carrying my gun. I believe that government is a necessity, but that they go too far. I believe that cops have some issues within their organization as a whole, but I don't believe all cops are racist and that police forces are based in racism. There, There's nuance to life. And it's not always that cut and dry. And you have to look at historical fact to realize where we're at today. History is all that we have. But history is written by the victor. And so it's important to read and acknowledge and learn and always be a student. And that's one thing that I got from hip-hop culture was that if you know anything, you know that you know nothing at all. You have to constantly realize and recognize that there's other points of views and there's other ways to go about living your life. But at the end of the day, karma is your best guide. And you have to make sure that you're doing for yourself and other people equally. Treat those as you would want to be treated, right? Golden rule stuff. So I hope that this first episode, not a lot of information per se, but enough information about myself that might help you to understand the complexities of what you'll hear going forward. I wanted you guys to have that history because it's important that you know that I'm not a red or blue or green I'm a man living on a planet just like everyone else who, whose views are, whose views can only be determined by personal experience and the experience of those that came before me. And that's what we're going to be focusing on here. And I appreciate you listening. Every podcast, we're going to try to make 45 minutes. We're going to run, um, we are going to talk about golf, 
we are going to talk about guns. That means gun reviews and things of that nature. We'll have some interviews around all of that. And we are going to talk about government and where we stand on that. And we'll have some interviews as it comes to that as well. Some healthy debate. Ultimately, though, this podcast is about people. And I know that sounds cheesy, but that's where we're going with this, is hopefully maybe people can change our minds, we can change some other people's minds, but we can also find some common ground, which is going to be required moving forward for us as a society. And that's where we're going to focus. We're going to focus on educating not only other people, but ourselves. And I hope you'll come along with us for the ride. We love you, truthfully. If you're living and you're breathing, you are family. God bless.